Amen. Thank you, Minister Drew. I appreciate uh, the hospitality. Praise the Lord, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. Good, good. I bring you greetings from Second Baptist Church uh, in Lafayette, Indiana, where I'm the senior pastor there. I'm really excited about being with you all on this morning to uh, share a little bit about what God has laid upon my heart. And I was excited when Pastor uh, Daniel asked me to come speak. And, uh, you know, but it just so happened that this week, the last three days, came down with like laryngitis. So I'm like, now out of all the weeks that I could get laryngitis, it would be this week when I'm coming to speak over at Calvary. So that's how the devil works. But uh, we're going to push through. Amen. We're going to push through anyhow. So I thank Pastor Barry. I thank uh, God for his friendship. Uh, we've been able to meet and have lunch and just really talk about ministry. And I give God a lot of praise for him. Whenever I have ideas or ministry thoughts, I, I call him and bounce some things off of him. So he's been a tremendous uh, uh, aid to me in ministry and a brother in Christ. So I thank God for him. Matter of fact, let's just give God a hand of praise for Pastor Daniel Berry in his absence. Amen. Amen. But listen, I'm not going to keep you long. I've been tasked to talk about evangelism today, and that's what we're going to talk about, and we're going to jump right into it. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn with me uh, to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter number 4. Uh, the Gospel of John chapter 4. Um, we want to start at verse number 27 of the Gospel of John. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Amen. Gospel of John. If you're at the early part of your Bible, you, you need to go to, to the right, uh, to the right. Amen. If you have Revelation, to the left, to the left. <laughs> All right. John chapter number four, starting at verse number 27. And it says, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food of which you know, of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white. For harvest, and he who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Amen. I want to talk for a few moments from this subject, witnessing at the well. Witnessing at the well. 
I wish I could tell you that every day God wakes me up and tells me exactly who I'm supposed to go and witness to that day. Wouldn't it be nice to wake up to the Mission Impossible theme song and hear God say, good morning. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to a man named Jack Smith who will be cleaning out his car at Crew Car Wash at 10.15 a.m. on Saturday. You are to go and share your faith with him. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> Listen, as convenient as that would be, that's not how God chooses to operate. Oftentimes, it's more like this. Your car is dirty. So you take it to crew car wash, and while you're vacuuming the backseat of your car, you notice that the individual to the left of you is also vacuuming her car. It's at that moment you feel something urging you to either witness to or at least invite this person to church. And it's important that you not mistake this inner feeling for gas or indigestion. No, it is likely the Holy Spirit in you moving and prodding you to share your faith with that individual. And you can either obey the Spirit of God in witness, or you can disobey and continue to cleaning. And the sad reality is that every day there are hundreds, thousands, if not millions of individuals who remain unsaved because believers have given them the silent treatment. Understand this, we ought to have a passion for reaching those who are spiritually lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all, we have the antidote that the world needs in order to overcome the sickness of sin. And yet many of us are content with keeping this antidote, this serum of salvation to ourselves. Why? Because we're afraid that our neighbor won't want it. We're afraid that our family members will spit it out. We're afraid that our co-workers would think we're some sort of fanatics. And the devil has convinced many of us into thinking that everyone we share the gospel with will somehow reject us. And since we don't want to be rejected, we act like we've been arrested and told we have the right to remain silent. But it's important that we understand that we have a cure that can set a person free from the disease of sin. And that cure is faith in Jesus Christ. And the sad reality is that some people are going to die and spend eternity separated from God simply because we refuse to fight through the fear. We refuse to fight through the worry and anxiety and share the truth of God's word with them. I love what the late preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon says. Charles Spurgeon one time said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. Charles Spurgeon is suggesting that we should love people enough to do everything within our power to expose them to Jesus. I want you to imagine you've got your cell phone in your hand, oops, and you're walking down the street, and you've got your cell phone in your hand, and you're walking down the street, and as you're walking down the street, you notice that the roof of this house is on fire. As you look a little bit closer, you see a family in that house at the dining room table eating while their house is on fire. They have no idea that their house is even on fire. The question I want to know is what would you do? Some of you would pick up your phone, you would dial 911. Others of you would go to the window and you would get their attention and let them know, hey, your house is on fire. Others of us would just kick the door in and we would just go right in the house and pull them out of the house. But the one thing we wouldn't do is nothing because you know that your inactivity could result in the death of that entire family. But I wonder how many of us sit back 
and watch the destruction of unbelievers. And we know that the fire of hell is coming. We know that this fire is inescapable, and yet believers won't alert them of danger, won't attempt to rescue them from the fire, won't even dial our spiritual 911 and ask God to send somebody to rescue them. And the unfortunate reality is that many of us wait for someone else to do what God has called and commissioned us to do. And as a result, many people are dying and going to hell on our watch. Listen, God has empowered every Christian to share their faith with boldness and confidence. Right now, we have access to the same power that the first century apostles and disciples had. That's why our prayer should be, Lord, fill me with your power. Give me the desire to seek and save the lost like you had. And when you pray like that, God will providentially arrange situations in which you can share your faith. We know this because that's exactly what happened in our today's text. Because in John chapter 4, we find Jesus leading uh, an unlikely person to saving faith. In verse 1, we find Jesus leaving Judea and heading north to Galilee. Now, there were typically three ways to get to Galilee from Judea. You could travel along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. You could go across the Jordan and up through Perea. Or you could go straight through Samaria, which would have been the quickest route. However, Jewish people rarely traveled through Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. The Samaritans were a mixture of Assyrian and Jewish blood, and therefore Jewish people did not consider them a part of the family of God. And as a result, due to major hostilities between these two groups, Jews rarely traveled through Samaria. However, in verse 4, the Bible says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And the reason he needed to go through Samaria is because he had a divine appointment with this Samaritan woman. And Jesus arrives at this well at the sixth hour or noon, which would have been the hottest time of the day. Now, this is significant because rarely will people go to the well during the hottest time of the day. People would normally go either early in the morning or late in the evening in order to avoid the blistering sun. And this has caused some scholars to suggest that because this woman's unfavorable reputation, she went to the well at an hour that she knew other women would not be there. And she would have done this in order to avoid being publicly ridiculed. You see, this was the type of woman that you would not want to bring home to mama. This was the type of woman that you would not want to introduce your husband to. In a real sense, she was considered a fad. She was considered loose. She was considered a thought. Uh, to use an urban dictionary. Uh, she was uh, considered a gold digger. However, in verses 7 through 26, Jesus had a dialogue, a conversation with this woman, and he broke all societal norms in order to share the good news with her. We know this because, number one, he witnessed to a woman. It was very taboo and uncustomary for a Jewish male, let alone a teacher and a rabbi, to talk privately to a woman in the first century. But that didn't stop Jesus. Not only did he witness to a woman, he also witnessed to a Samaritan. Racial tension and prejudice should have kept them from speaking to one another. But that didn't stop Jesus. Let me ask you this. What societal norms are you willing to break? in order to share the gospel. I like Jesus because he didn't trip on her gender. She was a woman. 
You see, the reason why some of you don't witness and invite people to church is because you're tripping on their gender identity. In other words, you only feel comfortable sharing your faith with heterosexual people. Because if they're gay, if they're bisexual, if they're transgender, you don't say nothing to them. Talking about child, God, then giving them over. Y'all, the devil is a liar. Last I checked, the gospel is for everybody. Stop trying to determine who deserves salvation. None of us are deserving of it. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is this. God took us as wretched, as messed up, as broken, as low down, as sinful as we were, saved us, cleaned us up, and then he used us for his glory. Y'all, we should never have a litmus test on who we share the gospel with because my sin may not be your sin, but when we gave our lives to Jesus, he forgave all our sin. Is there anybody that's just glad that he forgave all your sins? Oh, don't fool me. Is there anybody that's glad that he washed all your sins? That's why I like the old song that can say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Y'all, that, that's why the apostle Paul writes in Romans 1 and 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The word power there in the Greek is the word dynamis. Dynamis is derived from our English word dynamite. Dynamite is most often used to blow stuff up. This is important for two main reasons. First, it lets me know that salvation has nothing to do with our power. No, Paul says it is the power of God. You see, some of us don't witness because we think we have to be articulate, polished, on our A-game, persuasive and skilled in debate. But Paul says, just open your mouth and share the gospel and let the power of God do the rest. You see, when you share spiritual truth, God takes your words, as feeble as they may be, and he makes them understandable to the hearer. And that's why there are times when I can be preaching. And while I'm preaching, God is talking to somebody about their marriage. While I'm preaching, God is talking to somebody else about their relationship with him. While I'm preaching, he's talking to somebody else about their service, their attitude, or even their eternal destiny. And it's not my power that does the changing, rather it is his power. And his power is so strong that it can soften a hardened heart. His power is so strong that it can break spiritual chains. His power is so strong that it can destroy emotional yokes. I hate to bust your bubble, but you don't have the power to save anyone. Oh, I know you were the number one debater on your debate team in high school. I know you were Mr. Tippy Canoe when it came to debating and all that, but you can't debate anybody into the kingdom of God. But how many of you know we have a savior named Jesus and he has the power to change anybody? You know I'm telling the truth because you remember how you used to be. Cutting class, promiscuous, rebellious. You remember how you used to be. But then one day you encountered Jesus and he came into your life and he changed you. No wonder the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul says, well, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power, the dynamis, the dynamite of God unto salvation. Listen, salvation has nothing to do with our power. But secondly, salvation has transforming power. I'm reminded of Mount Rushmore, 
Uh, I've always been fascinated by Mount Rushmore because if you look at that mountain in South Dakota, you will see the carved out faces of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt. And I was shocked to learn that 90% of that monument was created out of dynamite. Don't miss this. It was the power from the dynamite that transformed a mountain of dirt into a visual masterpiece and a major tourist attraction. And I bring this up because that's exactly what the gospel does today. It doesn't matter what a person has done in their past. The gospel has the power to transform something that's dirty and make it into a masterpiece. Y'all, we serve a God who can transform a dirty mouth. We serve a God who can transform a dirty lifestyle. We serve a God who can transform a dirty attitude and make it into a masterpiece in the sight of God. And when God truly changes you, you'll start having spiritual tourists, unbelievers coming to check you out. You know why? Because you have become a light in a dark environment. Let me see if I can explain it. If somebody could just cut all the lights off. Cut all the lights off. Thank you. All right, cut the lights back on. Now I want you to notice something. When the lights were off, you saw that light, your eyes went to everywhere that light was. You know why? Because your, your eyes are programmed to seek after light whenever they're surrounded in darkness. And we understand that in the natural, but I wonder how many of us understand that in the spiritual. Listen, you have people at your job who are in darkness. You got people in your family who are in darkness. You've got people at your gym who are in darkness. And God is wanting for you to be that little light that people can look at, that light that shows the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, God wants you to live your life in such a way that your life is a contrast to the world. And when that happens, people will start observing you. People will start asking you to pray for them. People will start soliciting advice and wisdom from you. And it's all because you have allowed your inner light to shine. Watch this. Jesus didn't trip on her gender, but he also didn't trip on her race. Y'all, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, she was a Samaritan. This is significant because believers think that they should only share the gospel with people that are part of their race. And that's why they only invite people to church that look like themselves. But God wants us to share the good news with people who even look different than us. Y'all, Jesus did not allow this woman's race to stop him from sharing the good news. The shade of her skin didn't matter. What mattered was the salvation of her soul. And God is looking for believers who no longer look at a person's skin and start looking at the significance of their soul. So Jesus evangelizes to this woman, and while he's wrapping up this conversation with her, his disciples come back to the well. You see, earlier Jesus sent them into the city in order for them to get something to eat, and now they return only to see Jesus ministering to this Samaritan woman. Don't miss this. In verse 27, the writer John records two questions that the disciples were asking among themselves. But they were too scared to ask Jesus. And these two questions, according to the New Living Translation of the Bible, are, what do you want from her? 
and why are you talking to her? Listen, Jesus was trying to grow the kingdom. He was trying to grow God's kingdom, and yet his disciples were behind the scene questioning his vision and motive. Why? Because they were comfortable with a predominantly male, all-Jewish fellowship. So they started questioning among each other, not to Jesus, but among each other, his motivation for talking to her. And I bring this up because I wonder how many people are behind the scene questioning their pastor's vision and motive. Y'all, there are pastors all across this country who are trying to grow the kingdom of God by seeking to have diversity in their church. And yet there are disciples in the background questioning that direction. Talking about why can't we just have an all white church? Why can't we just have an all black church? Why can't we just have an all Asian church? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus did not want that. If Jesus wanted that, he would have never ministered to this woman. But the reason he did was to let us know that the church is for everybody. Y'all, the church is a hospital for those who are spiritually sick. And when I'm sick and I go to the hospital, I don't care what race the nurse is. Hello, somebody. I don't care what race the doctor is. All I want to know is, can you make me better? Y'all, the church is not a country club. It's not a political organization. But the church is a place where people who are spiritually sick can come and be made well. And I know there's at least 20 of you who can testify that since you've been in the church, your life has been better. That since you've been in the church, your demeanor has been better. That since you've been in the church, your obedience to God has gotten better. Matter of fact, somebody look at your neighbor real quick and just say, I'm better. I'm better. I'm better. Yeah, look at your neighbor. Look him right in the eye and say, I'm better. Matter of fact, yeah, look him in the eye. Look him in the eye. Say, I'm better because of the church. Listen, I don't know about you, y'all, but I'm better because of the church. If it wasn't for the church, I would have been cussed somebody out. If it wasn't for the church, I'd be on my fifth or sixth marriage right now. If it wasn't for the church, I would probably be in an abandoned building with a hypodermic needle in my arm. If it wasn't for the church, I would probably be in somebody's jail cell right now. But the reason I'm here preaching the gospel at Calvary Church is because God put my life in the church so that I could become a better person. Can I get a witness up in here? In verses 31 through 38. Jesus uses this encounter with the Samaritan woman as a teaching moment to his disciples. And his goal is to teach them the importance of witnessing. As a matter of fact, look at verse 31 through 35. Quickly, look what it says. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food in which you do not know. And they're wanting to know, what, what you talking about, Jesus? You got some Snickers you hiding out on a Slim Jim? What you hiding on us? But look at verse 33. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Here we find Jesus being hungry, and I'm sure that he must have been physically hungry. But it was his hunger, his burden for the lost that kept him going. In other words, he got his energy, his stamina, his vitality from doing the will of God. And Jesus is letting his disciples know that if you really hunger for God, then number one, if you're taking notes, here's my first point. There must be immediacy in your witnessing. 
immediacy in your witnessing. Jesus is saying in verse 35, don't say to yourself, we have four months left and then we can reap a harvest. No, the harvest is right for picking right now. You see, the devil wants you to put off witnessing to another day because he wants you to think you have plenty of time to tell people about Jesus. He wants you to think that you have plenty of time to invite them to church. You've got plenty of time to share with them spiritual things. But here's the problem. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Y'all, the day you're well enough to live, you're sick enough to die. As a matter of fact, you can run a 10-mile marathon two days later, drop dead of a heart attack because there's no guarantee that we or the person that we intend on witnessing to will make it to tomorrow. And that's why we should never put off tomorrow what we are able to do today. Listen, there ought to be an urgency on our part about getting the gospel, the good news of Jesus out to the lost. Jesus says, don't say there are four months and then the harvest. He says this because he knows that there's a tendency to think that people are just not ready for the gospel yet. I'm going to hold off on witnessing until my sorority sister delivers her baby. I'm going to hold off on witnessing because my friend's been under a lot of stress lately. I'm going to hold off on witnessing until after my cousin gets out of prison and back on his feet. And once the timing is right, I'll talk to him about Jesus. What if he goes to prison and gets converted to another religion? You have blown your opportunity. That's why Jesus is saying they are ripe for picking now. Don't you know there are people right now with whom the Holy Spirit is preparing for salvation? In other words, he's softening their hearts. He's opening their minds. He's giving them an awareness of spiritual things. And all he's waiting on is for you to do your part and tell people about Jesus. We see this even in the ministry of Jesus. There was a time when Jesus was walking and he ran up on a guy named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector at H&R Block. He was a tax collector. And, uh, and Jesus simply says to Matthew, follow me. And don't you know, Matthew left his tax collecting business and he went to follow Jesus. Now, this is what I wanted to know. Why did Matthew follow Jesus so quickly? Jesus didn't give him no long theological dissertation. All Jesus said was, follow me. Right away, he followed Jesus. Because there are times when Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is preparing somebody's heart to receive the truth even before you get there. And all you need to do is open your mouth and share spiritual truth. And God has already prepared them for the gospel that you're going to present to them. No wonder the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10 and 14, how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Listen, Jesus has called, commissioned, and sent every believer to go and preach the gospel. I bet you didn't know you're a preacher, did you? Yes, you are. You're a preacher. What am I telling you? are a preacher. Now, you may not be called to preach in a church, but you are called to preach and, 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 and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to those who don't know him. And if you don't do it, who will? If you don't do it, then the enemy will raise up his own evangelist and they don't mind sharing about Wicca. They don't mind sharing about Buddha. They don't mind sharing about Confucius. They don't mind sharing about the Watchtower. They don't mind sharing about Joseph Smith and the Mormon church. And if we're going to push the devil's kingdom back, it's got to start with us witnessing one person at a time. Jesus had an immediacy about his witnessing to the woman at the well. And Jesus was smooth 
and yet strategic in his approach. In verse 7, he says to her, give me a drink. I love this because Jesus doesn't go straight for the kill. Rather, he starts by talking about water. He started by talking about a common interest that they both have. You see, many believers think that when they meet a person, they have to go straight to John 3.16 or straight to the Romans road, or straight to Romans 10, 9. Listen, sometimes you just need to start by saying, hello, my name is. Come on, somebody. Y'all witnessing should not be spooky or weird, whether it should flow out of a natural conversation. You start with the natural, and then you flow to the spiritual. You might start with LeBron, but eventually you're going to get to Jesus. You may start with the young and the restless, but eventually you're going to get to Jesus because our goal is to get a person from here to there in order that they may become saved. Y'all, starting with the natural and flowing to the spiritual is the approach that Jesus took with this Samaritan woman. Jesus let his disciples know that if you really hunger for God, not only should there be immediacy in your witnessing, but number two, you should recognize that there's an incentive in your witnessing. It's in the text. Look at verse 36 and 37. Watch what it says. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Here Jesus is letting us know that there's an incentive in sharing our faith that we will be rewarded by God because we were willing to expose someone to the light of Jesus Christ. Y'all, we don't witness to receive a reward, but we witness because that's what God has called us to do. You know what's crazy? If God were to build us a home in heaven on the basis of the number of people that we shared the gospel with, some of us would be homeless in glory. And now you up in heaven, knocking on people's door, talking about, can I stay in your basement tonight? No, you should have witnessed while you were on earth. Hello, somebody. <laughs> the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 and 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Here Paul is stating that the person who evangelizes the lost as well as the person who disciples that individual will both receive a reward from the Lord. Let me see if I can explain it. On one side, you've got the sword. On the other side, you've got the reaper. Now, the sower is the person who sprinkles the seed out there. He sprinkles the seed. They share the gospel. They testify about Jesus. They tell people how good God has been in their life. They witness. They, may, they don't ever see that person come to saving knowledge of Jesus, but they do witness. They share. But the person who reaps, they do the same thing that the sower does. They share the gospel, they evangelize, they witness, they testify about Jesus. But they see a person come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they disciple that person and help them grow in the saving knowledge of Jesus. Now watch this. God, in his love, rewards both the sower and the reaper. Now here's what I wanted to know. Why would God reward the sower when the sower didn't get any results? God does not reward us on the basis of results, but he rewards us on the basis of our obedience. And if we're willing to obey, if we're willing to witness, if we're willing to share our faith, God says, I will reward you for all you've done for me. It may not always be money. It may be with long life. It may be with good health. It may be with a sound mind. It may be with protection over your children. But I'm here to let you know that God will reward you. 
He'll reward you for every person you help, for every offering you made, for every Bible track you passed out, for every church invitation you've given, for every hater you decided to pray for. Y'all, God will reward you for that, not only in glory, but he'll reward you right now. Y'all, witnessing at its core is an issue of faith. It comes down to this. Do you believe that God will really reward you for sharing your faith? Think about this. If God were to direct deposit $5,000 into your account for every person you shared the gospel with, I wonder how much money you would have after 30 days. I believe after 30 days, this church will be full of millionaires. Some of you in here right now will quit your job tomorrow. No two-week notice, no resignation letter. You would just walk in tomorrow, throw down your badge and say, I'm done. And then some of you would turn into modern-day John the Baptist, wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey. Some of you would turn into John the Baptist all on Sagamore Parkway, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., talking about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we would do this in order to receive a tangible worldly reward. But do we have enough faith to believe that when we witness, God has an even greater reward waiting on us? If we did, we would do more witnessing for the kingdom. Jesus said we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven I wonder what does your heavenly account balance look like right now? Too convicting. Let me move. Listen, <laughs> if we're really hungry for God, number one, we should have immediacy in our witnessing. Number two, you should recognize that there's an incentive in your witnessing. But lastly, there will be influence in your witnessing. And we're done. Look at verse 39. It says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. This verse strikes at the heart of what evangelism is all about. This Samaritan woman had an encounter with Jesus, and this encounter made such an impression upon her that she felt compelled to go into the city and let other people know about Jesus. Watch this. It was her excitement about Jesus that caused people to come and check Jesus out for themselves. It wasn't her gift of gab that caused people to come to Jesus. It wasn't her theological aptitude that caused people to come to Jesus. Rather, it was her excitement, her passion, her enthusiasm that caused people to inquire about this man named Jesus. And I bring this up because the reason why some of you can't get nobody to come to church is because your dryness has discouraged people from attending. I mean, you never talk about how the sermon impacted you. You never talk about how the praise team ministered to you. You never talk about how much you've grown since you've been here at Calvary. You never talk about the times when Jesus answered your prayer. And then you wonder why when you ask people to come to church, they don't come. They don't come because you don't seem excited about the things of God. Listen, every now and then, you ought to brag on Jesus. You ought to tell people how good the Lord has been in your life. If he's healed your body, you ought to tell somebody. If he's restored your marriage, you ought to tell somebody. If he's turned your life around, you ought to tell somebody. If he's got your child off drugs, you ought to tell somebody. If he brought you out of poverty, you ought to tell somebody. If he brought you through depression, you ought to tell somebody. If he made a way out of no way in your life, you ought to tell somebody. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Listen, it is your excitement about Jesus that will entice people to have their own encounter with Jesus.
I find it interesting that this Samaritan woman went to the well in order to get something out of it. But Jesus went to the well in order to pour something into her. And what he poured into her was living water. You see, this woman represents those who need salvation. Jesus represents the well that people can go to to gain salvation. However, the water pot represents those of us who are to carry this living water, this gospel, to a world that is in need. I like this woman because in verse 39, she was willing to become a water pot and she started pouring Jesus. She started pouring the gospel into anyone who would listen. And I dropped by this morning to let somebody know that God is calling us to be water pots. We are to carry this living water to the lost. We are to carry this living water to atheists. We are to carry this living water to agnostics and skeptics. If we're going to see a revival in our nation, it's going to start with us telling people about Jesus. I'm done. At the age of one, Helen Keller became blind and deaf. She could neither see nor hear for the rest of her life. However, Helen Keller didn't allow her handicap to hinder her. She went on to become an accomplished writer. And I remember in one of her letters, Helen Keller told Bishop Brooks that she had always known about God, even before she had any words. She just didn't know his name. Listen, people can look at the beauty of creation and know there's a God. They can look at the vastness of the ocean and know that there's a God. They can look at the intricate design of the solar system and know that there's a God. But what they don't know is his name. But we are believers and we know his name. Some call him wonderful. Some call him counselor. Some call him prince of peace. But we choose to call him Jesus. We know his name. And since we know his name, we ought to share Jesus with those who don't know him. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.